Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Amen. Meribah, lesson number two. Number two on Meribah. If you were here last week, just a quick review. Numbers chapter 20 is where we talked about some things that took place in the life of Moses and Aaron as they gathered the congregation together before the rock. And he said to them, here now, you rebels, must we fetch water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and with his rod, he smote the waters or the rock twice rather. And the water came out abundantly. And the congregation drank and their beasts also. When the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, because you believe me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. This is the water of Meribah, because the children of Israel strove with the Lord, and he was sanctified in them. So this is the second Meribah. The first Meribah is when he hit the rock as he was told to once and of course the water came out back in Exodus but this is the second time 38 years later and he instead of speaking to the rock like he was told he strikes the rock and as a result of course the water comes out because God is merciful but he is punished and judged for what he did and he and Aaron were not permitted to enter into the promised land as uh, God really wanted them to enter in so he was denied entrance into Canaan's land because of what he did striking the rock. The rock we know is a type of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we are told the rock that followed them was Christ. And as a type of Christ, the first time when he struck the rock, that's the type of the crucifixion. And when he spoke to the rock, that was supposed to speak to the rock, that's a type of his resurrection and exaltation at the right hand of God. And so he was supposed to speak and not to strike. It would be like crucifying him twice, and that's not going to happen. And this was written for our admonition or to warn us to let us know that we need to heed what took place here so that we don't make the same mistake that they made so some of the things that took place back in the wilderness were written recorded in the new testament for our good so that we would learn not to do what they did now as we continue our study i want you to go to numbers chapter 17 beginning at verse 1 with me this is from the new international version the Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and get 12 staffs from them, one from the leader of each of their ancestral tribes. Write the name of each man on his staff. On the staff of Levi, write Aaron's name, for there must be one staff for the head of each ancestral tribe. Place them in the tent of meeting in front of the Ark of the Covenant law, where I meet with you. The staff belonging to the man I choose will sprout, and I will rid myself of this constant grumbling against you by the Israelites. So Moses spoke to the Israelites and their leaders gave him 12 staffs, one for the leader of each of their tribe, ancestral tribes, and Aaron's staff was among them. Moses placed the staffs before the Lord in the tent of the covenant law. The next day Moses entered the tent and saw Aaron's staff, which represented the tribe of Levi, had not only sprouted leaves, but had budded, blossomed, and produced almonds. Then Moses brought out all the staffs from the Lord's presence to all the Israelites. They looked at them and each of the leaders took his own staff. The Lord said to Moses, put back Aaron's staff in front of the Ark of the Covenant law to be kept as a sign to, this, to the rebellious. 
this will put an end to their grumbling against me so that they will not die. Wow. Well, first of all, this rod that budded is significant to us. Number one, it's a symbol of authority and power. And if you recall, when Moses was sent to Egypt to bring out the people from Egyptian bondage, he took the rod that budded with him. And this was a symbol of the power and authority that God gave him to deliver the people from Egyptian bondage. It was used to demonstrate the miraculous power of God time and time again. All the plagues that took place, most of, most of them anyhow, the rod was used. Uh, you recall the water was turned to blood. Uh, it swallowed up the magician's snake, snakes as the other ones threw down their rods and they turned to snakes. But the, the rod of Aaron, the Aaron, you know, rod that budded, ate up all the other serpents or snakes, snakes showing that God is greater than all the magicians that they had there in Egypt. Um, and then we see the parting of the water of the Red Sea. The rod was used. God told them to stretch forth the rod. Once again, a demonstration of God's power. It signified, it symbolized the power of God that was in the hand of Moses to lead the people out of Egypt into the promised land. Well, it's also a sign to the rebellious. And we're going to get to that in just a moment, which we just read. But if you go to chapter 16 of the book of Numbers, what you'll read about is Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, and 250 other Israelites that were Levites, had an uprising against Moses and Aaron. They began to speak against Moses and Aaron about Moses taking on the leadership role among the people and Aaron being the high priest and only his descendants standing in the office of the high priest and ministering in the priesthood. So they were not happy and they approached Moses and let them know how they were basically disgusted with him as a leader and how they felt as though they were being denied certain things. They were cheated out of certain things. And so they wanted more than what they had. And Moses basically talked to them and just said, look, you are in a great position. You may not be the priests, but you're right below the priests. And you have the privilege of tearing down and moving the tabernacle in the wilderness, handling even the holy things of God, including moving the Ark of the Covenant from place to place. So they had a significant role among the people. But now here they are challenging the leadership of Moses and the, the priesthood of Aaron. And they're upset about it. And with these 250 others that were, like I said, not priests, but they wanted to be priests. They wanted to be in leaders. They said, we're as holy as anybody else in this place. Well, Moses said, okay, then here's what we'll do. You all get your censers. You bring them before the tent of the covenant. And right before the tabernacle of the Lord. And you burn incense. We'll burn incense. And we'll see what happens if, if the earth opens. What are the chances of this happening? If the earth opens and swallows up Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, and all their possessions and all their families, and they go into the earth, then you know the Lord is called Aaron and me to be your leader and priest. So let's do it. Game on, so to speak. So they did. And when they did, just as Moses said, 
the earth opened up and swallowed Korah, Dathan, Abiram, all their possessions, all their families, and took them straight into the ground, and then the ground closed back up. The 250 individuals that believed that, you know, they were holier than thou, I guess, than what they were, all were consumed by the fire of the Lord. Now, if you were a part of that particular test, what would you have done at that point? If you saw that happen, how would you have been reacted or responded to that situation? You would think they would repent, but no, they caused another uprising against Aaron and against Moses. And God once again says, I'm going to wipe them out. And they interceded on their behalf and said, no, 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 Lord. But the Lord says, I'm telling you, a plague was manifested among the people. 14,700 people died by the plague. And the only way the plague was stopped was when Aaron, the high priest, offered incense before the Lord, which once again signified that he was the one who was called by the Lord to be the high priest among the people. They all died, 14,700 more. And now this incident takes place. This is the third time that God does something supernatural to let them know that he is in charge that he will call whom he calls. He will be the one to put people in specific offices of authority and use them the way he sees to use them. And even though that they felt as though they should have had a whole lot more, God didn't see it that way. So finally, this takes place. Aaron's rod sprouts leaves, buds, blossoms, and produces almonds. And now they know for a fact that God has called Moses and Aaron and then they take the censers of the other 250 all the others that offered incense before the Lord melted it down and they used it at the altar and used it as a covering for the altar of sacrifice to let them know to remind them that God is in a place of authority and power and he'll give it to whom he gives it to and look at Hebrews chapter 9 it's a perpetual thing it's an eternal thing. Notice this. Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service in a worldly sanctuary. <clears throat> For there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlestick, the table of the showbread, and is called, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all. Can you bring, read it? Pull up the next verse. And in, in that place there was the table of showbread and also there was Aaron's rod that budded. Aaron's rod that budded was there to remind them forever that this was a testimony that God had called them. Notice what it says, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of the covenant. So it was housed there in the Ark of the Covenant to remind them continually that God has called the people that he called. His power, his authority is what delivered them and brought them out. And whoever he used to do it is who he chose to use to do it. And they were wrong for rebelling against 
them and him and causing this uprising before the people. So it was in that ark to remind them. Now, with that as a backdrop, now let's take this into consideration. Moses abused the authority that God gave him when he used that rod to strike the rock the second time. Look here in the book of Numbers chapter 20 once again. Let's read these verses. And the Lord spake to Moses and Aaron, because you believe me not. Notice the reason. To sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. This is the water of Meribah, because the children of Israel strove with the Lord, and he was sanctified in them. Now, the rod was used to demonstrate God's authority and power among the people. Moses used that rod in, in such a powerful way that he should have understood and recognized and realized the power of God was right there in his hand. Well, he misused the authority that God had given him by striking the rock. And really, God was not pleased. His unbelief is seen in his attitude. He was angry. He was impatient. It was seen in his words. He called them rebels. It was seen in pride. Must we call water, fetch water from the rock for you? You can see he was frustrated with the people and the frustration that he had caused him to be angry and use his anger to rebel basically against God and misuse the power and authority that God had given him. Well, God was not pleased. He was judged for his sin. His sin was twofold. It was a sin of commission, doing something God told him not to do. It was a sin of omission, not doing what God told him to do. Let me say those again. Commission, doing something God said not to do, or, or that God didn't tell him to do. God didn't tell him to strike that rock, but he did it anyhow. So he did something that God didn't tell him to do. But then the sin of omission, he did not do what God told him to do. And that's so important. This is what God said to do, and he did not do it. That's omission. As a result, of course, he was judged denied entrance to the promised land. And notice this in Deuteronomy chapter 3. He was denied entrance to the promised land, but you know what? He wanted to go in so badly that he called out to the Lord, basically begging him to let him to go in. Look what it says. And I besought the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord God, thou hast begun to show thy servant thy greatness and thy mighty hand, for what God is there in heaven or in earth that can do according to thy works and according to thy might, I pray thee, let me go over and see the good land that is beyond Jordan, that goodly mountain and Lebanon. But the Lord was wroth with me for your sakes and would not hear me. And the Lord said unto me, let it suffice thee. Speak no more unto me of this matter. Get thee up into the top of Pisgah and lift up thine eyes westward and northward and southward and eastward and behold it with thine eyes for thou shalt not go over this Jordan but charge Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him for he shall go over before this people and he shall cause them to inherit the land which thou shalt see. So what he's saying is you can see it but you can't have it. You can see it but you can't touch it. You're not going to participate in it. But Joshua is going to be raised up and Joshua is going to get the people into the promised land. Now it sounds harsh, but still to whom much is given, much is required. 
And we know that Moses had the right heart, but he allowed his frustration to get to him, and as a result, he did what he should not have done. He should have not hit the rock. He should have spoken to the rock because the trans transition was about to take place. And I want you to see it here in Joshua chapter 1. The promise that God made to Abraham that he was going to raise up a nation and that he was going to get him into a promised land was about to be fulfilled. They were at the edge of entering into the promised land that God promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're at the threshold of it all. All they have to do is cross the Jordan and take the land that belongs to them. It was their inheritance. Well, God uses Joshua to raise up a generation of people who are of faith, a new breed of people, those that will actually believe God and believe to see his glory on display and manifestation as they cooperate with him and do what he tells them to do. His supernatural power now shifts from being a rod in the hand of one man to entering in the hearts and mouths of everyone who will call upon the name of the Lord. This is the transition that's going to take place. This is how they're going to get into their promised land. This is how they're going to unleash the power of God on their behalf to bring down the walls of Jericho and take a hold of their possession. Now notice in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8, Joshua's first key to success was found in his mouth. You know, Moses represents the law. Joshua represents grace by faith. But I want you to see this. The first thing, the first key to his success was found in his mouth. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. He didn't say out of your hand, but out of your mouth. He didn't say use the rod to get the people in. He said, no, it's going to be different this time. You're going to be a new breed, a new kind of leader that's going to teach the people faith, how to live by faith, and how to walk by faith, and enter in and take what belongs to you that I've promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that's going to come, not with a rod in your hand, but with a word in your mouth. You're going to meditate the word. It won't depart from your mouth. You're going to meditate therein day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written therein, and then you'll make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. So his success was going to be found in the words of his mouth. And so he's told to meditate the law, meditate the words I've spoken to you, and what I speak to you, what I say to you in your ears, you keep that in your mouth. Look at the next thing. The next key to success is the heart. Not, in the, not a rod in the hand, but something about the heart. Notice the next verse. Verses five, and then through seven, and then nine. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of your life. Notice the word he has spoken that he is to meditate on. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. If that was you, you could say, there shall not be any man able to stand before me all the days of my life. As I was with Moses, so will I be with thee. Lord, as you were with Moses, so will you be with me. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Lord, you'll never fail me nor forsake me. Be strong and of a good courage. How many of you know that courage is a spiritual thing? It's of the heart of a person. For unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear to their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous. Again, he repeats the word courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law. Which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left thou that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. And then notice, have I not commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage? 
Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Courage is of the heart. He said, put these words in your mouth. Meditate upon them and get them in your heart. Notice, your heart and your mouth are involved. Not the rod like Moses had in his hand that he would stretch across the Red Sea or that he would bring all the plagues upon the people or that he would turn the water into blood and etc. and etc. No, this is a new breed. This is a new generation. This is a people of faith and they are going to get to their promised land by believing something from their heart and saying something with their mouth and they'll release the power of God. Next, Joshua had God's promises. Look at three through five once again. And this, this is on the heels of the first couple of verses that says, Moses, my servant is dead. Can you imagine this after a funeral service, him hearing all this? Moses is dead. He's gone from the scene. The law is over. It's time for the new breed, a new leader to rise up in faith. And he says, every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you as I said unto Moses. I said it to him. I'm saying it to you. They didn't believe it. It's up to you to believe it. And I want you to believe it. From the wilderness of this Lebanon, even under the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and the, under the great sea, toward the going down to the sun shall be your coast. There shall not be any man be able to stand before thee all the days of your life as I was with Moses so will I be with thee I will not fail thee nor forsake thee notice he gives him a visual notice he, he makes declarations notice he gives him promises notice he tells him exactly what he's going to do God promised him his presence his power and his protection he had the promises of God it's just as Moses had the promises of God and he says now look as far as the eye can see when you see the sun going down, it may look like it's pretty close, but it's not. There's a lot of land out there. There's a lot of territory out there. And you know what? That belongs to you, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It belongs to the people of God. And I am giving it to you. Matter of fact, I have given it to you. All you've got to do is go in there and possess it. That's all you've got to do. Number four, Joshua believed God's promises. Chapter one. Look at verses 10 and 11. He believed the promises of God. Then Joshua commanded the officer of the people saying, notice, saying something that he said, pass through the host and command the people saying, prepare you vittles for within three days you shall pass over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God giveth you to possess it. What does that sound like to you? Does it sound like he believed what God told him? Did it sound like he believed in the promises of God? Did he sound like he believed that God would defend him and fight for him and go before him? Did it sound like God would protect him? Did he pass that on to the people? Unlike the other leaders from before, he passed it on to the people. He instilled faith within their hearts. He encouraged them within. And he let them know that, praise God, believe and see the salvation of your God. He will go before us. He will defend us and fight for us. And we will possess the land that he has given to us. Praise God. Well, 40 years they were on the outside looking in. They were in, you could say, fairytale land, not Disneyland. They were in fantasy land, not the land of reality. 
And they kept looking at the promised land, but they couldn't get into the promised land. Imagine that for 40 years, a land that flows with milk and honey, a a land whose grapes are so big it takes two men to carry them out uh, on the vine. Imagine all that they had that they could have enjoyed for all these years. They were denied because they couldn't believe or wouldn't believe that God was big enough to get them in to the promised land. But now under under the leadership of Joshua, he encourages them to go in there. That land's about to become a reality. And he knew why. Because he says, God will give us the land. God will fight for us. He knew it was provided for by God. It was his provision. And he knew that he would be able to receive it. Because God ordained them to take it. So it was ordained of God, provided for by God. All they had to do was cooperate with God and do what he said to do. Now, the application of it for us, because this is the important part. Number one, we've been given a promise. Every one of us has been given a promise. Look in Hebrews chapter one, uh, chapter four and verse one. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. This is the place of promise. This is the rest we enjoy in Christ. This is the provision of everything that God has provided for us in Christ Jesus. It includes everything he's promised and everything he's purchased with his blood. Every single one of us has this promise. The promise of eternal life. The promise of healing and health. The promise of deliverance and financial uh, needs being met. Financial provision protection, direction, guidance, everything that we can enjoy in this life to the fullness thereof is found in this place called rest. It's a promise for every single one of us. Number two, just like them, we must enter in by faith. It takes faith to enter in. Look at verse two. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit or benefit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Does it get any clearer than that? Under Moses' leadership, he could never get them to a place where they could believe and see his glory. He said, you saw my works, you saw my signs, you saw my wonders, but you will not believe my word. So therefore, I'm swearing to you, you will not enter into the place called the promised land, Canaan's land, and experience all the good things of the land. Houses you didn't build, wells you didn't dig, vineyards you didn't plant. Every good thing that is in that place should have been yours, but you refused to enter in because you would not believe that I would defend you and go for, before you and protect you and provide what is necessary for you to overcome every giant that was in the land. But under Joshua's leadership, praise God, he said, I believe God. What a difference it made. So number two, We've got to use faith. We've got to believe that Jesus died for our sins. He died for our sickness. He died for our disease. He died to provide for us in every possible way. He died to give us life and that more abundantly. He was raised from the dead so we can be reconciled to the Father and have a place with him throughout eternity and live and reign with him in eternal glory. Praise God for that. Amen. And we can enter in all that how? By faith. We've got to believe our way into the rest of God. Number three, we're also to be strong and courageous. Just as he told Joshua to be strong and of a great courage, we are told in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, be strong. Finally, my brethren, what's left to do is to be strong in the Lord. Notice, and the power of his might. Not in your strength. 
But you might say, but I don't have a rod in my hand. Wouldn't it be nice to have a rod in your hand? Wouldn't it be nice to have a rod in your drawer? And just, you know, you're counseling somebody, you just open up the drawer and pull out the rod, just go whack them. <laughs> Zappo. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? Miracle. You got your miracle just like that. We don't have that. So what are we trying to do? We're trying to communicate faith to people to let them know you don't have the rod in your hand, but you can get the word of God in your heart and in your mouth and you can start praising God for the victory that you have, that the rest that you have in Christ Jesus and you can unleash the glory of Almighty God into your life by doing so. And that's for all of us, praise God. So we're to be strong in the Lord and the power of His might, not our might, but His might. Look at number four. Number four, we're to speak the word from the heart. Just as he told Joshua, meditate on it, get it in your heart, get it in your mouth. In other words, be courageous in the word. And what greater miracle is there, my brother and sister? What greater manifestation of the power of God is there than the power and glory of God taking a sin-sick soul and recreating it, which was the greatest working of God's almighty power. But how did it take place? Romans 10.10. Romans 10.10 says, with the heart man believes to righteousness, with the mouth he confesses unto salvation. He doesn't say you take the rod and knock somebody with it. He said, you give them the word of God. You tell them to meditate it. You tell them to get it inside their heart and put it in their mouth. Proclaim it and declare it and decree it. Praise God. Speak the word and watch the power and glory and majesty of Almighty God manifest and recreate your spirit and give you a brand new heart and a brand new life. Number five, what we say must be rooted and grounded in what God has already said. We are not in this by ourselves. We are not trying to call the shots like Korah was, or Dathan was, or Abiram was. We're not like them. If God says it's the way it is, then that's the way it is, praise God. If that's what he says we're to believe, then that's what we're going to believe. Amen? So what are we supposed to do? Whatever he said, we're to say it. Look at Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, for he hath said. Everybody say, God said. See, our faith must be rooted in what God said. What we say must be grounded in what God said. If God didn't say it, then we don't have any foundation upon which to stand. But if God said it, what did he say? He said to us, what he said to Joshua, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I will not, in the Amplified, I will not, will not, will not, by any degree, leave you or forsake you. He told him back then, as I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will go before you and no one can stand before you. You will overcome. He says, I'm saying to you, I won't leave you nor forsake you, that you may boldly say, oh hallelujah, that you may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. Well, I like that, don't you? I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Oh, the, say with me, the Lord's my helper. I won't fear anything. Hallelujah. See, it's not a rod in the hand. It's the word in our heart, in our mouth. And we declare what God said to be true. Look at number six. We've been given power and authority. Mm. Hallelujah. In Paul's prayer in the book of Ephesians chapter 1 verses 19 through 21. He prays this prayer 
for them. And he says, among other things, what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe? You know, back then, not everybody could have that power. Back then, not everybody had the rod, Aaron's rod that budded in their hand. But look at this. He wants our eyes to be open to understand and to know the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe. Do you believe? Then it's to you. You believe? Then it's yours. What kind of power? According to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality, power, might, dominion, every name and name, not only this world, but also that which is to come. Put all things beneath his feet. Gave him to be the head over all things for the benefit of the church, for you and for me. You know what that's saying? There isn't a devil, a demon of darkness in the realm of darkness that has any power, any jurisdiction, any authority over any of our lives. And God wants us to get this in our heart and get this in our mouth and recognize when the enemy comes against us and tries to tell us all kinds of crazy things, greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world. Get thee behind me, Satan. When oppressive thoughts come to our minds, you're not good enough. You're never going to make it. You're never going to succeed. You know where that's coming from? And you rise up, praise God, and you say, I know who I am. I know whose I am. I know what I have in Christ. I'm putting that inside my heart. I am declaring it, decreeing it. I'm his masterpiece, praise God, his very workmanship recreated in Christ Jesus. Don't tell me who I am. I know who I am. I know what I have. I know what I can do. I know God is with me, for me, and in me. And if God is for me, who can be against me? I know he never leaves me nor forsakes me. Oh, glory to God. I don't know about you, but I'm going to shout. Number seven, we've got the power source within. We've got the powerhouse within. Notice, he wants us to meditate these truths. Get them into our heart, in our mouths. Romans 8, 11. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal body by his spirit that dwells in you. Where is this spirit? Dwelling in us. What did he do? Raise Christ from the dead. Hallelujah. What's he doing? Quickening your mortal body. Empowering you to have life. To have health. To have victory. To have in your spirit what Moses had in his hand. We've got the all-powerful might of the glory and majesty of God in this earthen vessel of ours. And he wants us to unleash it by faith, by declaring who we are and what we have. You see why the devil can't stand confession? He can't stand when people are taught to speak the word. If you're religious, he's satisfied. But when you get a hold of the word of God, you put the word inside your heart and your mouth and you start saying it, he will come at you to fight you tooth and nail. Because he wants to see to it, he steals that word from your life. Don't let him do it, praise God. We've got the power source within. And where does it come from? Look at the next one, our inheritance. 
they had an inheritance, but we have a better one. We've got a better covenant with better promises. Look in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, 10 and 11. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. You have obtained an inheritance. The inheritance is in Christ. We are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus. Beloved, name to me the richest soul that's ever walked on the planet called earth. I guess it was Solomon worth 2.1 trillion dollars. That's a drop in a bucket compared to our inheritance in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him we have an inheritance among the saints in light. We have reconciliation with God. We have the life and nature of God. We've got the divine character and ability of God. We have a destination with him in glory. And the list goes on and on and on. All that we have the right to use the most powerful name in all the universe, the name of Jesus, no matter what we face in life. But there has to be a revelation. As Peter said, I don't have any silver, I don't have any gold, but what I've got, I'm going to give you, buddy. And they took him by the hand and lifted him up, and his feet and ankle bones received strength. He went walking, leaping to the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. Oh, glory to God. Look at the next one. We are to acknowledge every good thing that is in us, in Christ. Philemon, 1 verse 6. There's only one chapter, so it's verse 6. That the communication of your faith may become effectual. How? By lifting up a rod with your hand? By throwing it down, turning it into a snake or a serpent? Mm -mm. By the acknowledging or the confessing of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Why should I be confessing every thing that I don't like about myself when I look in a mirror? When I can look into the mirror of God's word and confess every good thing that God put in me in Christ Jesus my Lord. What sh should we do? What would you prefer to do? Oh, thank God. Thank God who I am in Christ. Thank God who you are in Christ. Thank God who we have, what we have in Christ. We're to confess it. We're to declare it. If we want our promised land. And finally, <clears throat> if you didn't shout yet, get your shouting clothes on. You ready? Jesus is the high priest of our confession, of our declarations of faith. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1 says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. Are you a partaker tonight? Consider the apostle and the high priest of our profession or confession. Same words translated confession. In other places, same here. And who is the high priest of our confession? Is it Aaron? One of his sons? Who's the high priest of our confession? Who's watching over the words we speak to make them good for us? Did Jesus say, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven? He sure did.
What is this telling us? Jesus completed his work. It's finished. Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. In his high priestly office and ministry, he is there to watch over and stand behind every word spoken in the new and everlasting covenant. He is the guarantee, the surety of the new covenant. And he is there to see to it that he's in the presence of our Father to make good our confessions or declarations of faith. So when you and I start saying, I'm more than a conqueror through him that loves me. In the face of opposition, in the face of difficulty, in the face of challenges, but you and I say, praise God, I'm more than a conqueror through him that loves me. It may not look like I'm a conqueror or more than a conqueror. It may not look like I'm a world overcomer by my faith, but I'm not going by what it looks like. I'm not going by what it feels like. I'm not going by anything but what the word says I am and have in Christ Jesus, my Lord, knowing that my high priest at the right hand of the majesty on high is taking the word that I'm saying and watching over it and confessing it before the Father for me on my behalf, for you on your behalf. Oh, praise God Almighty. We've got a high priest who's touched with the feeling of our infirmities, eternal in the heavens. His name is Jesus. Oh, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Son of Righteousness with healing in his wings. And he is there representing you as an advocate, high priest. He's our advocate. He is our intercessor, praise God. He's our mediator between us and God. And he is our guarantee or surety. How could Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be so sure? They knew their God, and they that know their God shall be strong and do exploits. How can Daniel stand there and pray or kneel there and pray when the decree says don't do it or you're going to be thrown into a lion's den? Because he knew his God. And they that know their God shall be strong and do exploits. How is it that Joshua knew, just do what the Lord said to do? Don't you love it? He said, now be quiet, don't say a word. Walk around those walls one day every day for six days. On the seventh day, walk seven times. And when that seventh time comes and you're told to shout, then shout, glory be to God. Shout with a loud voice. When you hear the sound of the shofar, shout. And what brought those walls down? God's power was unleashed as they lifted up their voices in agreement and shouted to the Lord with a voice of triumph. Why can we do this? We got a high priest at the right hand of the majesty on high. And you know what? We can say what he said to say. And if he said it, we can say it. If he says by his stripes you were healed, then you were. Amen. If he says you're more than a conqueror, then you are. If he says you're a world overcomer by your faith, then you are. If he said I always cause you to triumph, then he does. He always causes me to triumph. He always causes you to triumph. Praise God. Why walk with the rod in your hand when you're going to have the word in your heart? The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. With the high praises of God in my mouth. Amen. Hallelujah. I don't know what that does for you, but let's all stand together before the Lord.